Hello and welcome to Fast Forward, your regular glimpse into the future of urban mobility, brought to you by Xmotion. I'm your host, Greg Lindsay, and this week I'm coming to you from Europe for a special All Europe episode. I'm here in Turin, joined by my colleague Tim Grabaudi in Paris. Buongiorno, Tim. Bonjour, Greg. It's actually funny that you should be in Turin. Uh, as you know, uh, my family's from there, so I hope you're enjoying it. Indeed, and it's fun being here in the traditional heart of the Italian automaker business here. So, you know, sort of perfectly fitting for an all-Europe uh, all mobility episode. Um, but let's start in Paris for this. We, you know, we're going to have as our special guest uh, this week, uh, Romain Ernie, who's the head of transportation and mobility for the Choose Paris region. So he'll be on in a bit to talk about their truly grand plans for the grand region. But first, Tim, I want to ask you about the New York Times piece that ran this past week, uh, basically giving the impression that it's bicycle madness. I believe the quote was, it's total anarchy in Paris as the city transitions away from cars to bicycles, including the, you know, the 30 kilometer speed limits and, and Mayor Hidalgo's presidential candidate and Hidalgo's grand plans to remake the city. So Tim, is it, is it truly anarchy and madness there or, or how, how is the public actually receiving this? Well, look, Greg, I'm not that objective. As you know, I'm a very, very keen cyclist. So I actually um, cycle everywhere in Paris. I would say it's my main mode of transportation uh, to go anywhere. Uh, what I will say is that, yes, you know, there's been a lot of cycling infrastructure built in the very last few years. I would say actually since 2019, there's been an explosion of cycling infrastructure. I think, you know, one of the, the key symbols of that is the Rue de Rivoli, which is this really central axis that's go, that goes by the Louvre that is now completely closed to traffic except taxis and buses. And it's a double lane for for cycling so you know that is a kind of epitome of this change uh, obviously there are uh, you know it does take time for people to adapt and there's been a real boom um in bike usership i think it's estimated that since 2019 there's in average there's been an increase of about so i mean it's a big average but from 10 to 40 percent increase so so yeah, you know, it's it takes time. So obviously, it can be complicated sometimes. Well, so I was curious. You know, the the Times piece advocated, you know, that there's no uh, cycling culture in Paris yet, which I think is 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 interesting because you know the classic urbanist argument is that you know Amsterdam and Copenhagen weren't always Amsterdam and Copenhagen in the sense of you know their hundred plus percent cycle ridership. So you know, what ways does that show up there? I mean, is there any kind of real pushback from that, or you know, are there bad actors in this? Like. You know, what, what does a Parisian cycling culture look like or how does it get to a sort of mature one? Well, look, I think there's two things. I think one is on the infrastructure side and the second one is on the kind of, well, rider side, let's say, kind of how users bike. Um, so the first one is, I think, initially when Paris started doing kind of cycling infrastructure, uh, it wasn't always adapted to, um, well, it wasn't always fit for use. So you've got a lot of cycling lanes, for example, that are actually on the curbside, um, that are constantly interrupted, um, that have, you know, they're just not fluid to use. Um, the recent infrastructure, Dan, I, I would say in the last four years has really improved. So they're now looking at uh, really taking space from the cars rather than from um, rather than from bikes. Uh, sorry, rather than from um, you know from kind of pedestrians. So so you know it's kind of really been an improving an improvement in uh, in the infrastructure. The second thing is um, 
that uh, yeah, I mean, there's been there are a lot of new cyclists who do not always know how to use the bike. Um, so, for example, people will turn at the last second without indicating, which you know is is really dangerous, or they don't always respect uh, obviously traffic lights. Um, so. You know, for some pedestrians, uh, it has become complicated. You know, so for example, my mom always tells me that you know she's always, you know, she looks ten times before crossing because you always have, you know, you you have sometimes electric scooters or or bikes that that come at the last second. And maybe a third point is, um, well, there is an increasing presence of um, well delivery companies who use you know, uh, cycling to deliver and they, you know, these people, these workers have incredibly, um, you know, the, the, their targets, their delivery targets are really, really, uh, you know, they have these, these, how would you call them premiums that, you know, just mean that they really don't respect traffic laws in order to deliver as quick as possible. Yes. Always been the thing with delivery. I mean, is FedEx and UPS paying traffic fines and the same thing is true no matter if the vehicle changes. So yeah. So, so basically what you're saying is, you know, that there's a, you know, they're, they're fighting jostling for streetscape and, and, you know, breaking laws just like a delivery truck would. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, you know, so you, it is an aggressive space sometimes. And then I also think just in Paris, there there is an aggressive culture. So people, you know, it feels like a race sometimes and everyone is racing. Everyone's trying to go as quick as possible. And you're really contending a space. It feels that public space is a very, is contended currently between, so you've got cars and then, uh, you know, ride sharing and then the, the cyclists, the electric scooters that boomed, although they do seem to have been regulated now. So as you know, Paris limited uh, the number of electric scooter companies recently. Um, so there has been a reduction of electric scooters. Um, but yeah, it's a contentious space. Indeed. Well, we'll have more from that. Uh, you know, we'll have future guests. We'll ask about how the traffic is going in their cities because I hear worse horror stories from New York and elsewhere where auto traffic is up higher than ever. So this is perhaps not the worst problem. Um, but before moving on from Paris, I want to touch upon, depending on when you listen to this, listeners, um, this may be in the past, but on October 12th, the Paris City Council is going to a, a vote on an incredibly ambitious plan to institute the Medusa, which I love the evocative name. It's a uh, effectively microphones to monitor noise pollution, particularly from motorcycles that you know backfire and go down quiet city streets early hours of the morning. And what's really interesting about Medusa is that it's not being advanced by a technology company, uh, but really emerged from sort of a nonprofit there. And so they're voting to whether to, to sort of implement this system citywide. And I just find it fascinating that this is, you know, this is what they're choosing to crack down on in Paris versus ShotSpotter in the United States there, you know, designed to monitor gunshots, which a number of reports have come out about how that, you know, system is flawed in various ways. So, so I think it's interesting too. Tim, I mean, does that come out there as noise pollution, like a big political issue as well? I, I, it never occurred to me that, you know, I guess that's just how inculcated I'm in car culture that I would just hear at all times of the day. Yes, it's a real issue. And you, you have to remember that Paris is an extremely dense city. Um, so, you know, it's one of the, den- the, the most dense cities in, in Europe. Um, so obviously, you know, the effect of, uh, and, and they're very narrow roads too. So the effect of uh, a motorbike um, or, um, you know, of, of loud vehicles is, is really strong. And I mean, I can feel it in my daily life. It's really stressful. So you're, you're outside on a terrace and you get all these really loud noises. So it's something that has been a priority for the Hidalgo administration. Um, in fact, 
as you know, Greg, I was involved a bit in the, in the Hidalgo campaign, and, um, and that was one of the kind of key issues. They would always talk about noise, about these noise detectors, and they've been talking about it for for a number of years. So it's it's really, well, in my opinion, really good to see that they will be implementing it um, on, on October 12th. Um, and it's just part of this change. You know, I think um, there's been a real kind of revolution in these last years. I mean, another symbolic measure uh, is, uh, you know, Paris uh, is now limited to 30 kilometers, um, you know, maximum speed, um, 30 kilometers per hour, which, um, you know, is a big revolution. All the kind of key Paris axis used to be, uh, well, at least 50. Um, so, you know, Paris is becoming... Well, it's changing. Obviously, it's a it's a time of transition, but I would say for the positive. Yeah. Well, moving on from Paris, well, of course, one of the other cities that you know was very quick to implement cycling infrastructure and really embrace it was Milan. Um, you know, speaking here of Italy, here as emergency vehicles go by in the background. But there, on October fourth, uh, Mayor Giuseppe Sala won a landslide re-election victory there, and so of course, I believed him, and you know better than I, that his opponents were trying to make some of those micro mobility investments a wedge issue there to win back traction with uh, car owner uh, voters there. But I guess it didn't work. So, I mean, is this this basically mean that Milan has a mandate going forward, Tim? Yes, I, I think Milan really does have a mandate. Um, I think, you know, one notable thing is that, uh, well, our friend uh, Pier Francesco Moran, who used to be the deputy mayor for mobility uh, in the previous administration, so before Sala and then continued um, working with Sala, um, has and and you know who played an immense role in creating this kind of initial biking infrastructure and really thinking about um you know kind of um quieter neighborhoods and more pedestrian areas um really changing milan from you know a car centric city to a more pedestrian and bike centric city uh well pier francesco moran actually is the man who uh, won most preferences on the ballot in the whole of italy so you know it does show um that um you know, when in local politics, um, pedestrian and bike-centric uh, issues can really help win. Although not always the case. In fact, we saw really recently, Greg, in, in Lisbon, um, a majority that had, um, you know, really centered its politics around uh, bike and pedestrian-centric culture uh, lose um, uh, just a, a few weeks ago. And, um, and there we are. So, you know, it can be, it is a contentious issue in Europe currently. Not a slam dunk everywhere. It'll be very curious to see how Mayor Hidalgo runs on that for her presidential platform as well. I mean, I won't, uh, I won't uh, uh, even attempt to delve into, of course, you know, uh, uh, French politics with regards to the Parisian region versus the per- peripheries. But, um, but yes, but it'll be interesting to see if a mayor can run on that. Um, what do you think her chances are, Tim? Quickly. Uh, I think it will be very difficult for her um, just simply because, um, well, you know, the kind of, uh, let's say on the left side of the spectrum, uh, there are a lot of different candidates. uh, So it's going to be difficult for her to affirm herself. Um, But we shall see. I think, you know, um, her policies in Paris will be, you know, um, in a way that's her positive. That's what she can put forward, you know, that she's someone that really can implement change. And she showed that in Paris, but it will, it will also be, um, you know, the angle, uh, with which uh, her opponents will attack her. Um, because yes, you know, it's going to be a discussion about, well, Hidalgo, the Parisian centric person who, um, you know, the gentrified Parisian, uh, bike centric culture against, uh, rural, 
you know, car-friendly France. I think that's that's the risk she's running. Indeed. Well, quickly looking looking at how this is affecting the states, or how these lessons might be applied to the states, quickly here for our listeners. There, there was two interesting news items uh, this past week. Here, one is a, a research paper that dropped um, that analyzed the New York City city bike bike sharing system um, and found that you know that from 2014 to 2017, very early in its deployment, um, that it saved the equivalent of you know 13,370 tons of oil and reduced CO2 emissions by 30,000 tons and nitrous oxide emissions as well. Um, and that the authors conclude that, like, yes, bike sharing works. It is an effective system for, you know, effectively lowering uh, carbon emissions. The problem there, as they also noted, is that traffic is at all-time highs in New York, as I referenced earlier. And so, yes, it'll be curious about the political will to, to sort of make that scale and, and have that happen. And slightly related to that is, is the, you know, the e-bike revolution. And I'd be curious your thoughts on this as well, Tim, that, you know, that sort of swept through Europe during the pandemic. You know, Germans, I think... What's the stat, uh, Tim? I think like something between a quarter and a third of, of all French households now have a personal electric mobility device. Um, in the States, you know, sales are up 240% year over year, according to stats out from the MPD group. So starting from a much smaller base. But it will be curious to see if this transition can finally sweep through there. So we shall see. Um, but yeah, our final news item of the week here, I think it's interesting that, you know, we've talked, of course, about micromobility and, and talked about bicycling here. But of course, you know, uh, it's been really interesting to sort of see how the European OEMs, the automakers, are embracing this as well. And in the wake of the German elections, which happened just a few weeks ago in late September, uh, Herbert Dies, if I pronounce his name correctly, the CEO of Volkswagen Group, penned a whole series of tweets uh, basically outlining what the new coalition government, whenever it should be formed, should do uh, in sort of putting together an agenda. And it's effectively all about vehicle electrification. It's really interesting to see them basically ask the government to, uh, to help reinforce their multi-tens of billions of dollar bets on electromobility. So I don't know, Tim, your, your thoughts on this as well. I mean, uh, it's funny for me being here you know, in Europe this week, seeing, you know, I think my first Volkswagen ID4 I saw on the street today and seeing the sort of you know, interesting electromobility landscape in terms of uh, cars as well as personal vehicles as well. But, but yeah, you know, do we seem to have a consensus here in European politics that the time for electrification of all things is nigh? Yes, I think uh, there is a, a real consensus here. Um, I think the European Commission and uh, also kind of leading European governments have really been pushing uh, on uh, electrification. Um, also, actually, uh, not only because hydrogen is also one of the key priorities uh, of the Commission uh, in the years to come. And, you know, Germany, France have all published uh, very ambitious hydrogen strategies. So obviously, yes, there is a real um and, and I should say green hydrogen, <laughs> there is a real, uh, well, prioritization of, of sustainable energy um, in the kind of um, European uh, political policies. Um, and yes, there is also a change in, in behavior. And I think, you know, what is interesting in, in the German case is that, uh, you know, the political parties going from, you know, the traditional CDU to the right or SPD to the left, you know, the SPD was very close to, uh, you know, strong unionized uh, cultures, you know, so very pro-industry in, in a way. Uh, well, they've also moved um, radically um, toward, to, to, to the kind of green policies. So, so there you are. You really see a shift uh, across Europe in the last few years. Yeah, so it will be interesting to see how the German traffic light coalition, if they can agree on this, will sort of marry the greens policies with the unions, with you know uh, the yellows, uh, you know more free market orientation. So it'll be interesting, sort of what hybrid approach they generate. Um, 
Well, with that, let's bring out our guest here. We're, we're Again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're joined by Romain Erny, who's going to come out here and talk a bit about, again, what they're doing in the broader region with regards to a lot of this, whether you know you can build a 15-minute city out beyond the periphery, what, what kind of charging uh, infrastructure they're putting in there, and also their experimentation with urban air mobility as well. So with that, let's hand it over to Romain. Thank you for joining us, Romain. Yeah, thank you for the invitation, Greg. Well, it's a pleasure having you here on our special uh, All Europe episode. Um, I guess as a first question, can you talk a bit about the Paris region? Because particularly for our American listeners, Paris to them is Mayor Hidalgo's <laughs> beautiful realm of bicycles everywhere for good or for bad. But the region, of course, is Metro Paris. So uh, how is it defined and what are sort of the broader challenges of the region versus the core? Um, so thank you, Greg. So the, the Paris region and a bit of geography. Uh, so it, it's the city of Paris, as you mentioned, but also seven counties surrounding Paris. And we have, um, as you mentioned, so we have 12 million inhabitants, so the, the first uh, European uh, region. And we have the, uh, the GDP is equivalent to the GDP of the Netherlands. So we uh, are one of the... Um, the, the the principal region in Europe, and we have different type of um, of use case of mobility um, uh, options in, in throughout the region. So it goes from the the very dense uh, city center city um, uh, area like, like Paris, where you have the highest density of population in Europe. Uh, you have a, um, a fantastic um, um, buses and, and metro and, and transit um, um, connections throughout Paris. And you have, uh, as you mentioned, bike lanes. So we have in Paris many multiple options of mobility. And then when you, you go to the first suburbs, where you have the, the Paris the Paris uh, uh, business district of La Défense mm -hmm. and, uh, and others uh, uh, less crowded but still dense areas. And uh, we still have a, a good uh, uh, connection through mass transit, and the, and then you you have the what we call the first suburbs, and it goes from Versailles to uh, Roissy, uh, Charles de Gaulle airports, and also fantastic places like Vallée de la Chevreuse or Parc, Parc du Vexin, where you have a, a, a countryside. And in this situation, it's like you you need a, um, you have still a few lines of regional lines of transit. And um, some bike lanes, but uh, the, you have to use one or two cars to to move throughout the region. So it's different type of uh, of uh, mobility habits and mobility option and different use cases in the in the in the Paris region. Interesting. So how is the, sort of the post-COVID landscape playing out then in the in the region? Because of course, you know, I know my limited experience there, but of course, you know, it was very much about commuting people to the core, the classic models of of work days, which have been disrupted by remote work. And, uh, and yeah, and also, you know, the a general, a less lack of investment in some of the active mobility than the core has received. So, so yeah, how are you trying to change that then? Or, you know, what is the, the grand plan for the Paris region following the pandemic? So yeah, for, for following the pandemic, we have um, um, some some figures say that uh, before the pandemic in the Paris region, we have uh, we had 43 um, million daily trips, and what we see that is, it in now we have more than 34 million daily trips. So um, every mode's uh, degrees except bikes, which is a, a great news, uh, a great news for us. But the 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 situation is still the same for uh, especially fighting uh, uh, 
air pollution due to thermal vehicles and also um, uh, congestion, but congestion on, on the roads, but also on mass transits. Um, um, if you experience probably some lines are overcrowded, for instance, the regional uh, regional trains RORR, which goes from uh, east to west in the Paris region. It's 1.2 million every uh, million passenger every day. Uh, and as you mentioned, on peak hours, it's like uh, a train every two minutes. So it's a fantastic job from the team, from the local operators. But you, you can imagine that if there are slightly a, a small small problem on the line, <laughs> you have a major major issues in the in the in the public uh, in the public transit. So th that's why we. We, uh, the, the, the French government and also the region decided to invest more in mass transit. Uh, with the, um, um, perhaps you heard about this project. It's called the Grand Paris Express. Yes, but and I'm curious. So I mean, that I mean that is a massive expansion of the metro. And and how is that playing out post post COVID? Obviously, because again, you know that sort of the classic peak commuter rush. I mean. I know I know Paris has has gone a bit back to more than normal trend in some of the United States cities, but but you know given depressed ridership and given the whole spreading out of the peak, uh, you know have you changed some of the assumptions involved in that, or how is that pro how is that program being transformed post COVID? I, I think we still need to. So you're right, the, the, especially on the on the mass transit people, so people who work uh, at home remotely, um, they 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 don't go uh, every day from to to the uh, from home to the office but still we need to 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 make uh, this transit more attractive and that's one one uh, one of the objectives of the Grand Paris Express to make it more uh, 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 very much more uh, sexy I would say to to take to take the train and to take the the, the this new metro is going to be uh, fully autom um, uh, automated and uh, with a lot of digital services and so we will have more than 60 uh, new train station and as you mentioned Greg uh, you ha always have to to commute in a place when you want for instance to go from the business district of la défense to the airport of Charles de Gaulle if you use the mass transit and then with this new line, it's going to be directly uh, linked with the, the Paris business, the business district of La Défense and the, the, the main airport in Paris region. And it's going to be easier and that the, the experience for, for passengers will be much more, uh, much more fun or much more sexy to, to use this, uh, the mass transit. But again, <clears throat> It's it's uh, it's quite complicated now to have the the figures, but we say we see that during the last lockdown in in the Paris region, we have one third of the active population um, in 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 the region uh, worked at home. So it's um, it's uh, less uh, less budget for uh, less budget for the mass transit, mm -hmm. and do we have some some issue uh, to finance some 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 line and some, but again, uh, that's uh, that's so important because uh, we have um, uh, cars on the road and and the average car occupancy rate is 1.1 in Paris in the Paris region, so all those empty seats. You can see on the road, it's a it's a nightmare for the urban planners or the the, the mobility experts in the Paris region. So how how can you um, how can you uh, 
um, help those those uh, those those road users to to go through a through a, a new a new metro lines, and that's going to be a, a very challenging for for us. But we 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 want to do uh, we want to achieve that. Indeed. Well, at least I mean, increasing service is a start. So at least you're starting from the right proposition there. Um, well, since you mentioned remote workers and we talked about it, I, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Mayor Hidalgo has aggressively, you know, pushed the idea of the 15 minute city, you know, the idea of building more urban villages, which is, of course, you know, works if you're in the center of Paris. But how is that playing out for the Paris region or, or, or you know, or sort of how are the active mobility investments being made? Because, again, I mean, it's a completely different urban landscape. It's obviously completely different uses. I'm, I'm sort of curious, like, where where does the 15 minute city meet its limits in, in Paris? And, you know, and, and can you build that in sort of the, a greater scale than just simply the center of the city? Yeah, you're, you're right. It's um, um, the 15 city minutes could work well in, in, in the center of Paris, but the high density of population. But again, there's different um, um, geography. You don't have companies and housing and, and, and I don't know, hospital mm-hmm. and services around around yourself so it's uh I, I guess it's an objective of the of the of the city uh, but you write in some more countryside um, we will um, perhaps the, again with the, the to to build services around train station which is a, a great um, um, objective from the Grand Paris Express uh, not only just because in France and uh, maybe in Europe it's not like in Japan where you have a lot of of of, of malls and and services and and in in train station which are beautiful, and uh, in in France we have to in a, especially in the Paris region we have to this uh, to to build this culture and this uh, this train station for instance to to build co-working station or to work more services public services or to to build more I don't know medical services in this uh, in these areas where it has to be um, 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 a place where you can access different type of services so that's um, <clears throat> But definitely, the 15 city minutes is a key objective for the city of Paris. But it's quite difficult to 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 set up, especially uh, in the first or, or even more in the second suburb of Paris in the Paris region. Interesting. Well, and you you, you know you mentioned um, uh, cars, and, and despite trying to get people out of it, but I am curious about how you know how electromobility is working out in the region as well, and not just of course for cars, but also for bicycles and other forms of micromobility. I mean, you know, we, we've seen obviously the European OEMs are pushing hard uh, at the moment to get into electric vehicles. You know, Volkswagen, for example, calling for the new German government to invest heavily as well. Um, how is that playing out in terms of infrastructure and sort of how do you see sort of electrification playing out across the Paris region? Like, you know, what what role is 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 Choose Paris region playing in this and other bodies in terms of actually creating the infrastructure? in place for charging other things to allow that to happen? And what should the role be? Yeah, good question, Greg. Um, so electrification is definitely a key a key objective for both, uh, for many local authorities, so the region and some uh, important cities in, in the Paris region. There are uh, several goals to get rid of uh, diesel uh, diesel car in Paris and in the first suburbs by 2025, which is tomorrow, and uh, and the, in the first suburbs of Paris by 2030, and and you know we have, we have the Olympics in 2024. 20, that's a, that's an incredible accelerator catalyst for for several projects, including electrification of, of vehicles. So we're working on two sides uh, for local authorities. First one is to build infrastructures or um, uh, charging points. 
and uh, the Paris region want to triple the number of uh, charging points in the Paris region. So they support local authorities, local communities or cities to invest in, in uh, on-street uh, charging station. And the city of Paris is well equipped at the moment uh, because we had the Otoli project um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about that, but it was the first, uh, the most important car, e-car uh, electric vehicle uh, sharing uh, initiative in in, in Europe mm-hmm. and, and in the world. So that's uh, that's one point. And the other, in the other hand, um, so electric vehicles still um, um, is are still quite expensive uh, uh, in Europe and in in France. So the the government, local government from the Metropole du Grand Paris. Or even the region is supporting um, um, people, and they can have eighteen thousand euro back from the from the local authority when they when they uh, when they they buy an electric uh, electric vehicle, and also the region supports um, uh, smaller companies like um, um, very small companies that want to um, to buy a, a, a commercial vehicles to to do some 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 logistics uh, deliveries uh, in the Paris region to to switch from a diesel to to electric uh, electric but this is so th- this is for car but uh, also for um, for for buses the the, the region we have 10,000 buses in the region uh, mostly diesel at the moment but the the goal is to switch from those to to switch the whole fleet to natural gas, but also electric uh, electric buses. They are tenders at the moment, so it's um it's a it's a it's a it's, it's a good point to 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 show that the, the community, the local authorities are are, are pushing to electri- electrification of, of fleets and also e-bikes. Uh, the region and some cities, including the city of Paris, supports uh, uh, supports. Uh, um, Parisian or Parisian um, or inhabitants of the Paris region to build, to to buy an electric bike and they can you can have five five hundred euro back from the local local authorities. So, the the cash uh, for clunkers campaign, as I've seen it described there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, for cars and but for yeah for for bikes and and, and so we have buses, cars, and bikes. So that's uh, uh, electrification everywhere. So that's uh, because it's important just to to not, not to forget buses and and uh, electric bikes in the in the loop. Indeed. All right. Well, last question is: I, I know you're also pushing into aerial mobility as well with the airports and uh, working with RATP. I'm curious how that plays out. I mean, some of the cities that are embracing this are over bodies of water, and so there's. So it makes sense there, but yeah, how does how would urban air mobility fit into the sort of broader vision of Paris? I mean, obviously, given its scale, I could see the uses there. But what what are the objectives, or what 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 problems you're trying to solve? Um, a different problem, Greg. The, the uh, for us and, and and myself, I was in contact with um, many eVTOL manufacturers, asking what the vision and what uh, and and showing their their um, in, increasing uh, um, improvement in technology. So we had this discussion with the local authorities and the local government of the Paris region, and also with ADP, which is the Aéroport de Paris. They manage 12 airports and, and airfields in the Paris region, and RATP, which is uh, quite interested in new mode of transportation. So the goal is really to um, to understand this uh, this uh, what kind of use case, uh, what would be the social acceptance. It's, it's key for us because we don't want that it's replicate uh, what uh, is going to be a, a new like helicopter services, very uh, elitist and, and and not sure to to many people. So the goal is to 
what type of use case and we see maybe emergency services or i don't know um, perhaps cargo drones cargo um, uh, emergency or, or maybe in some places like uh, which is which are not very well deserved in the press region uh, uh, advanced air mobility could be a, a, a promising option. So that's uh, we we won't replace uh, uh, mass transit because uh, if we again with the regional train RRR 1.2 million uh, passenger, if you put that on on the sky, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be uh, terrible. But uh, in some cases, so that's why we we team up with RATP and and ADP to. To, and also, we selected 30 partners uh, on that, and some some European, some US, and uh, we are um, now working with the Pontoise Airfield, which is north of the of the Paris region, to test and also acoustic test, airspace integration. So that that's uh, that's something we wanted to lead uh, in 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 France and in Europe, and uh, that's uh, we I'm very happy to share any any progress or any um, key lesson or, or also learn from other cities and from other regions in the world. So um, I guess commission LA, I will be there. So I'm happy to share and happy to discuss more about this topic. Well, great. Well, I can't wait, can't wait to see you there and look forward to learning more, particularly about the noise test, because I think if there's one, yeah. uh, the one insurmountable obstacle that drones and urban air mobility will have, it will be angry homeowners about the noise. So I'll be very curious. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also social acceptance, because if you see, I don't know, 15 or, or 20 uh, uh, e-vitals, and you cannot enter one, and so that's uh, going to be uh, not acceptance is also in, in this point, in my opinion. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Romain. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for the invitation again, and it was a pleasure to, to talk to you, Greg. So, Tim, I think it's interesting that they're testing for urban air mobility noise levels. We talked earlier about the fact that it's a big priority of the Hidalgo government to reduce uh, urban noise pollution. Do you think Parisians are really going to go for you know drones and and EV, EVTOLs? Sorry, I mangled that one. Flying overhead. I, I would say I, I think this is going to be the key to like or the, or the biggest stumbling block for this technology. People just don't want to hear this stuff overhead. Yes, absolutely. I think that is really the biggest hurdle. Well, the biggest is one of the key hurdles of <laughs> this technology. Hurdles. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's a real question. Uh, I think, in you know, um, we'll have to see where the technology goes. Whether, you know, I think, uh, well, you know, if you watch uh, Joby's marketing videos, one of their uh, key selling point, let's say, is is the noise. Uh, so let's let's see, or the lack of noise. So. Let's see how the technology evolves. Obviously, I think Paris, uh, for now, the Paris region is, as um, as you know, is testing um, in the north of Paris. Uh, so north of Paris, in a we're in a place called uh, Pontoise, uh, which is actually quite far out um, and uh, you know, kind of semi-rural. Um, so we'll see. I, it's it's difficult to see where it will go. Excellent. Well, we'll be curious to see. Well, there'll be a commotion LA. Romain will be there. And uh, so hopefully we'll learn more from him once we're there. November 16th to the 18th. Registration is open now. We're announcing new partners every day. Uh, uh, quickly, Tim, any, any uh, particular new partners worth mentioning here to get people excited? Well, actually, one may be Volocopter, who's actually, you know, they're partnering uh, with Paris on some of the testing in Pontoise. Uh, so you will be able to see uh, the Volo City uh, at Commotion, and uh, Whisk as well will be there with their Cora. So you'll actually be able to see them. 
Excellent. Well, we can talk all about the noise then. Um, well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me this week, Tim. Uh, we'll be back, listeners, next week with our guest host for the bulk of this season, Julia Thane, now at the Rocky Mountain Institute. So look forward to have Julia then. Tim, thank you for joining us from Paris. And listeners, we'll be back soon with a new episode. Until then, take care. Thank you.